That to me is the essential challenge of leadership. The fact that not everybody is going to agree with, with the decision that I make in any realm. I think about a decision we had to make as church elders. Welcome to the Crucible Project podcast. The Crucible Project is a nonprofit organization committed to creating a world of men and women who live with integrity, grace, and courage, helping them to fulfill their God-given purpose. This podcast will discuss important and sometimes difficult topics while delivering practical life applications with men and women who are currently practicing this work. We are igniting Christ-like change in men and women through experiences of radical honesty and and grace. Hello and welcome. My name is Tim Rush and I am extremely curious about leadership, how to grow and mature and lead the people that are in my realm. And so I am hosting this podcast out of a deep sense of curiosity mixed with respect for the people that I'm interviewing. Uh, so this is Brandon Brunson. Uh, he is a leader in the Crucible Project, and he's a leader in his life. Uh, he's the dad of three men. Uh, he's th- an elder at a vibrant church. And Brandon, what else would you add to that? What do people know need to know about you? Where else does leadership show up in your life? Those are the two main places. Uh, being an elder, this is I'm going on about my fourth year at Golf Course Road Church of Christ, really large one here in our town, and. Yeah, then, then the weekend leadership. So I have also, I'm a life group leader at our church. I've also been a life group leader coach where I take a few life group leaders and help them become better leaders. So those are the major places that, that leadership has played out for me. So Brandon, when or where in your life did you realize that people were following you, that, that you were a leader? I never really viewed myself that way, to be honest. I, I felt like I was content to just play my part, be a member, uh, and play my part in the church. Uh, one of my first careers out of college was as a teacher and coach. And obviously, by the very nature of being a coach, I was a leader uh, of those young men. I was the, the varsity boys basketball coach. And so it didn't feel like leadership at the time, but I look back and some of the lessons I learned about how to motivate and get people to pull towards a common goal started being shaped very early on there. And so I look back and see that's where it really probably started or ramped up was in in some of those early days. Were there any lessons from those early days that matter to you today? So I think it was just about this, this idea of a goal. So I remember walking in and telling them, here's the kind of basketball I would like to play. And I knew it was the kind that would ring all of their bells, you know, full court pressing, high scoring, that sort of basketball that's fun to play. And said, if we're going to do that, however, this is what it's going to take. We're going to have to do this and this and this. And I need you guys to buy in to those things. Practices aren't going to be fun. We're going to run a lot and think you'll see the benefit later on. And we did. We had some pretty good guys, really good athletes, good kids. Uh, so they made it work. So laying the foundation and then getting them to, to see that goal first and then say, but here's what it's going to take. But always referring back to that goal. If we can play this way, I think we can be really good. And I think we can do some fun things. And we did. Ended up winning district championship, winning playoff game and, and moving on. 
So how did you handle then and how do you handle now when some don't get in line with the vision or love the vision, but don't like the hard work that that's required? That to me is the essential challenge of leadership. The fact that not everybody is going to agree with with the decision that I make in any realm. I think about a decision we had to make as church elders. It was an extremely difficult decision where we had to let go of our senior minister. And we sat around in a room thinking about the ramifications of this decision. If we let this guy go, we're going to lose people. If we keep this guy, we're going to lose people. And so we made the decision and moved forward and let him go and lost some people and knew it wasn't popular. So for us and for me specifically uh, around those kinds of decisions, it was talking to as many people as I could, starting with the people I knew in church and without explaining all the detail, because we can't explain all the detail to you about what goes on in those meetings, but to let you know that we love you and we love this church and every decision we make, uh, whether popular or not, is about what we think God is calling us to in this church. And so this is what I've experienced. When people hear my heart and then they convey that to the larger group of elders who made that decision, then they can understand it. Whether they agree with it or not, they can at least get on board and move forward. And I've noticed that even on, on weekends, there will be times where a guy may not have the role that he really wanted on the weekend, but he understands the value of that role and how that pushes the weekend forward and accomplishes the goal that we want is, and that is the goal of of seeing transformation in the men that come as participants. So uh, keeping that goal in front of them of here's, here's what we're trying to do. Then I've been able to have those guys come along and say to them, Hey, listen, maybe next time, you get the role you want, or we'll take a look at something else. Help them understand all of the factors that go into a decision. So it sounds like really good communication that you're keeping the vision in front of them and reminding them that each small part even is a puzzle piece that's necessary for the larger vision. Yeah. It ties back to my coaching days where I say, you know, I had guys that could score 30 or 40 points and they were the stars of the team. And then I had guys that barely got to play. But that guy that barely got to play was still important. I needed those minutes from him, whether it was to give somebody a rest or I need a strategic foul and I can't place it on somebody else. And they understood that part. So still tying it back to the vision of you're part of this team and the part you play is valuable overall. So, yes, the communication and then and then being honest with them. And you're, you're tapping into a part of my story of going to a very small school. So it didn't matter your skill level. You, you could pretty much make the team sitting at the end of the bench, weighing a, a full 120 pounds. And the coach would send me in on occasion to get a tackle because he knew I had a foul to give. I didn't feel very important, but now I recognize it helped the team. Yeah. And our school was small enough that everybody made the team, no matter what. I didn't ever cut anybody. So everybody was going to be a part of the team. Mm-hmm. It, it was important to, to give them some sort of role that made them valuable. And that last guy on the bench, he may not wanted to have kept the books that day, 
but it was an important piece and tried to let him know this is vital to to me and to the rest of the team. And so need you to, to give it your all here. And then somewhere along the line, try to give the kid a reward and get him in in a spot where he could feel like, okay, I contributed there, but I contributed on the floor too. And so just give him something to balance that out. That's really cool. So I think we all have these messages that we carry with us. I constantly have this voice telling me, you're just a little boy at the table. You don't deserve to sit with the adults. So I'm imagining that there's some message that you carry that whenever it's time for you to speak up, when it's time for you to step into leadership, do you have some sort of messaging that's contrary to the go for it voice? Sure. And mine has always been, and I'm still working on this, Tim, is you don't belong here. It's a deeply ingrained message. When I was in high school, I was an athlete, but not a great athlete. And I was at a very big school. And so I could be on the team, but I wasn't a big contributor. I was that guy that I was describing earlier. And I was in the top 10% of my class, but I was not at the very top of that. I wasn't quite smart enough to be there. So I always felt like I was a part of a group, but not the inside part of the group. And I didn't quite belong anywhere. And so I still do feel that sometimes when I want to interject my voice, that voice in my head tells me what you have, that's not valuable. That's not going to fit here. That's not a good idea. And so it shuts me down very often. So how do you take care of yourself? How do you go for it anyway when that voice comes up? Yeah, it's knowing if we're on a crucible weekend and I'm the weekend leader, this weekend has to move forward. If it's a decision that we're debating or having to talk about, we've been throwing some sort of curveball. As the weekend leader, I've got to make the decision. That's what drives me forward is still that idea of, okay, we've got to accomplish a goal. We've got something to do here. And Maybe even say, this may not be the popular thing, or let's see how this works. The beautiful thing about our crucible leadership and what happens at our church as as an elder group is I have wise men sitting around me as well. Specifically talking about a crucible weekend, it's a smaller group. We have three or four guys. We lead by committee, basically, still with the weekend leader's name on the line. But I take the counsel, and then, and then I'm able... On a weekend, I'm able to go for it. So so we haven't been talking about parenting, but does that ever show up as a dad, that message of you don't belong here? Like this isn't your lane? There's some things I regret about my parenting. I think sometimes I was too much of a taskmaster, clicking things along and maybe being a little bit too disconnected from a feeling and just this is the next thing in front of us and not being as intentional as I would like to be. My wife was very good about being intentional. In parenting, I felt like we balanced each other out pretty well. She could provide some of that intentionality and the heart behind it when I was maybe too much just driving us forward. So is there anything that you've learned to do to take care of yourself, to take care of that little voice uh, when he starts coming online? I don't know if there's anything specifically that I've done. I've put myself in groups. And one thing I do love about leadership in general is it puts me in places where I have other wise leaders to learn from and watch how they do things and listen to what they do and try to learn those lessons. I think that's one way I do take care of myself. I had for a short time, I was in an online group with three other guys And one worked for our organization, The Crucible Project, and the other was this guy who I had placed on this very high pedestal from the very beginning and never felt like anything I could say would be acceptable in any circle where he also sat. Now, he never said that. 
he never even projected that to me. That was all the voice in my head. And so we were in a meeting, this issue came up and we were talking about it. And his response was, why wouldn't we want to listen to you? And that was really kind of a monumental moment for this guy way up on the pedestal to say, well, of course we want to hear from you. That all helps me take care of that voice is to be in places with good men where I can listen and learn and then have them affirm me. And then that voice, Tim, really, it sticks with me. So we're talking about that conversation today. That took place, goodness, two or three years ago, I think. And I still remember that. And I can carry that forward and say, okay, no, don't listen to that voice. What I have to say may contribute here. Not that it always will, but it may contribute. And I'm not going to be shamed for it at the very least. Do you think, having carried that voice, lived with that voice, do you think that you recognize it in other people and know how to help other people overcome that? Not as much as I would like to, especially when it comes on a weekend. As a weekend leader, I feel so overwhelmed by everything else that's going on. And I report this back to people all the time. So one thing I feel like I do well is connect with people. On a weekend when I'm the leader, I don't feel like I connect very well at all uh, because I let all of the responsibility and the weight of the weekend, I, I take more of it on my shoulders than I should. I even try to take the pieces that I should be handed off to other leaders on myself. And so I don't notice those things in other staff men nor connect as well as I would like. I, I think on a handful of occasions, though, that's probably true. Uh, I can recognize some men, and that's probably the connection you're talking about. When I when I feel that, that's probably what's coming online. What about uh, like in church leadership or in other spaces? Do you notice that in the people around you? So, yeah. So I try to, in those spaces specifically, it takes me some time. I have to step back a little bit. But I try to ask myself, when something comes up, what does this person really want? So they're asking me this question or something's coming up and it's not necessarily about the color of the carpet or what song they sang during worship that they didn't like. Something else is beneath the surface of that. And with people that I know well at church, specifically, if that were to come up, it's easy to have a conversation. We we have a fairly large church, you know, we'll have four or 500 people on a Sunday and many more than that on the rolls. And so somebody may just show up one Sunday, uh, have an issue, and I haven't seen them. I don't even know if they're a part of our fellowship, honestly, sometimes, because we're that size of church. And in that case, it's a little bit more difficult to stop and think about what does that person want? I don't know who this even is, really. I still can play. I mean, even even the, so the fact that I don't know him shouldn't preclude that that question because everybody has a deeper need when they bring that forward. But I don't have the relationship built up uh, where I could have a better conversation about that. Changing the direction here, let's play These Are My Favorite Leadership Quotes. So let, let me give you my favorite leadership quote and tell me your first reaction or what, what comes up for you. Uh, from the book Canoeing the Mountains, the statement is made, leadership is disappointing your people at a rate they can absorb. Yeah, that strikes me as very true. When I stepped in as an elder several years ago, me and, and three other men, one of those a crucible guy, we stepped into a mess. Things were were not good. Uh, and I referenced earlier the fact that we ended up having to let go of a senior minister. And so 
we realized that the people didn't trust us. So we had to move at a different pace. There were things that we wanted to do. We had a building project that we wanted to do and realized we can't do this. Our people aren't ready for this. And so we had to slow down and back things up and build some trust. And so we had to move at the pace of everybody in the congregation. So that quote strikes me as being very, very accurate. And, and I saw it played out in, in our church. It's fascinating for me to put the pieces together of knowing where your people are at, realizing you need to change the pace of movement while knowing that the voice is in the back of your head saying, you don't belong here. But carrying all that together and helping people step forward in the direction they need to go. And it's been like that move has gone smoothly, right? Mostly. Um, I, I tell this. Now, let me say smoothly. Smoothly is the wrong word. <laughs> okay. It, well, I, so I know what you're saying. Ultimately, we've gotten where we wanted to be. Tell this story, and I told the elders at the time when when I was being vetted to be an elder. So they called and said, "Hey, we'd like you to think about this," and I didn't immediately commit to it. I said, "I'll I'll commit to thinking about it. I'll commit to praying about it, and I'll commit to looking at what you have and going through the process." Because shortly before that, there was a Sunday I remember distinctly on a Saturday night, sitting with two friends of ours, my wife, and two friends of ours who were also members of that church. And word had started to get out. The previous senior minister was was going to resign that next morning over some missteps that were recoverable, honestly, but he wasn't willing to recover from them. And so he was going to leave. And I said, I'm leaving too. Like, I'm going to walk. I'm going to, I like the guy. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to leave. And by Sunday morning, I realized I can't do that for two reasons. Number one, I, I thought if I stand up and leave, it makes it about me and not about what's going on at this church. And I don't want to project that attitude and image at all. And number two was, my folks moved to this place in 1971. I spent all my formative years here until I left for high school and then college, and I ended up right back in this place in 2000. I've been there since, and, and I love it too much, and I don't want to be part of sliding it further into the ditch. I want to be part of pulling it back out of the ditch. Now, mind you, at that time, I had no idea I was even going to be asked to be an elder. I was just a member sitting in the pews, uh, participating in Bible class and life group. Again, had been a life group leader and a life group leader coach, had done all that, but but wasn't an elder and doesn't, didn't have a like visible named leadership role. But I wanted to be part of pulling that out of the ditch. And so the love of the place kept me around. The love of the people around there kept me in that place. And I think helped overcome that voice that you're talking about. Like that was one place when I looked around, I was like, I do belong here. This is my place. And I have a lot of history here, beautiful history. And I want other people to get what I got. It's not going to look the same. Church is different than it was in 1984, five, six, when we had 1500 people, it's totally different, but it's still valuable. And it still has a place to play, not only in Midland. So I think about it in these terms. We had a lot of people, and that church was important to those people. I believe that church was important to our community. And I believe our church in particular was very key in our particular brotherhood. And I felt like 
we need this place. It's not going to be like it was before, but this place needs to be strong and healthy for our community and for our brotherhood. And I want to be a part of that. And I, that was easy to overcome was I do belong here. This is my place. And I want to, I want to play a part. And thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this, Brandon. Um, this takes me back honestly to a conversation you and I had, I think when we first met maybe eight years ago and we were it was before a crucible weekend and we were talking about the hard work ahead on that weekend and in our lives. And, uh, you were very encouraging in, uh, we will do hard things and, and we're men who don't walk away from the hard things. And we will see fruit of that in our lives if we do the hard thing. So, so thank you uh, for sharing part of that story here because it's an echo of uh, what I've gotten to experience from you over the last almost decade. So, so I just want to say thank you very much. And any, any uh, thing you want to say to the audience before we close out? No, I, uh, I've, I've appreciated this conversation. I love the quotes. Uh, I have those in lots of places. Um, try to, you know, that's a leader you quoted that I've never met before, but there's, there's a, there's wisdom in that, that I can take and apply somewhere else. And so I love talking about leadership. I love experiencing leadership. I love, uh, I look, I also look forward to some of the younger guys that we see coming either as participants on the weekend or as staffers on the weekend. And it's easy to see those guys and say, you know what, that guy uh, has some potential for us. That guy needs to be up front doing a teaching piece, or I need to bring him in as a coordinator. Uh, I really see a lot of value and I want to help this guy and mentor this guy. And that's, that's really the part of leadership that I, I think I love as much as sitting at the feet of other leaders is to see these younger guys and try to help develop them into the leaders that I think they, that they could be, whether they know, I, I'm thinking of one guy in particular. And, and so he is very much like me. I do recognize that voice. He voices it all the time and, and trying to tell him, no, you belong. You're doing a great job and I want to give you more responsibility so that he can overcome those voices too. So yeah, but thank you for the conversation. I've really enjoyed it, Tim. Thank you. If any of this has met you where you're at, sparked some thought in you, and you see this as worthy of sharing with other friends, with other leaders, do that. Get the word out. There's some way that we can bless the leaders that are in our lives. We want to do that. So thank you for being with us, and we hope you'll listen again soon. For more information about our weekends, please go to thecrucibleproject.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Rate and review wherever you are listening, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Also, don't forget to check out myjourneyto.com for your free two-week trial. That's myjourneyto.com. Thank you for listening.